The stories in this book have been told and retold, cherished and revered by literally billions of people over thousands of years. People have devoted their entire lives to studying this book. There are hundreds of thousands of commentaries on it. And many people believe that this book had to have been written by God. The Torah, what's so special about it? Why is it so mesmerizing? And how has it managed to capture the human imagination for millennia? I'm David Kasher, a rabbi at Ikar in Los Angeles, and together we're going to study the weekly Torah portion of the Parsha and figure out why the Torah really is the best book ever. Welcome to the Forest of Sadness. That's the last stop recorded in the Sinai travel itinerary. This last Parsha in the Book of Numbers is called Maaseh, literally journeys, and that's because it begins by listing the 42 places where the children of Israel camped during their trek through the desert. Their 40 years of wandering is now almost over, and just before the Torah begins to map out plans to cross over into the land that will become Israel, we're given a chance to pause and look back at where we've been. And so these place names form a kind of tour through our collective memory, each coordinate recalling a familiar episode in this nomadic period of our national history. Until suddenly, we come rather ominously into a place called the Forest of Sadness, Avel Shittim. We've never seen this name before. What is this strange place? And what pain could it be holding there in the shadows of its trees? The name in Hebrew again is Avel Shittim, and it's often translated as something like the Meadow of Shittim. But the words literally mean Avel, the morning, Shittim, at the acacia trees. Now, if we go back, we find that this must be the same place that was mentioned earlier at the beginning of chapter 25. Vayesh of Yisrael Bashitim, and Israel settled in Shittim. But there it's just called Shittim, acacias. Why is it suddenly prefaced with this extra word, Avel? which has such distinct overtones of grief. Well, the Midrash Tanchuma takes us back there to chapter 25 and reminds us that the scene opens with this line, Vayeshev Yisrael Bashitim, and Israel settled in Shitim, Vayachel ha'am liznot el bnot Moav. And the people began cavorting, let's call it, with the Moabite women. And then, they bowed before their gods. And then the Midrash very keenly reminds us that in verse 6 of that chapter, it says that Kol adat Yisrael petach oel moed. The whole Israelite community were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So there was explicitly a sadness over there by the Acacias. What was it about? And why specifically call back to it now, eight chapters later? The Midrash gives a very vivid and dramatic answer. Valama Bochim, why were they crying? Because it was at that point that they dropped their hands in despair. What is this like? Lama Davar Dome. 
It was like a princess who's all dressed up in her bridal gown, with her chariot awaiting to take her to the wedding, when suddenly she's discovered sleeping with another man. Her parents and relatives would drop their hands in despair. So it was with Israel at the end of 40 years. They were camped on the banks of the Jordan, ready to cross over into Israel, as it says, and they camped on the Jordan from Beit Yishimot up to Avel Shitim, when suddenly they broke out in mass orgies. So Moses and the righteous dropped their hands in despair and began to cry. So close, here they were at the very last stop before crossing over. The promised land was within sight, but they just couldn't keep it together. Sometimes, the Midrash suggests, people are like that. They love someone deeply and they, they want so badly to be faithful and true, but at the very last minute, on the night before their wedding, somehow the pressure is too much. And in a fit of nervous energy, they, they go out and do something stupid and ruin everything, as if they were deliberately sabotaging their own happiness. It's so pathetic, so hard to watch. And Moses, our best man, so to speak, all he can do at this point is throw down his hands and cry. Or maybe, says Don Yitzchak Abarbanel, he was crying for a different reason. Now, Abarbanel was one of the most fascinating characters in the history of Torah commentary. A Portuguese statesman and philosopher who also managed to be one of the greatest medieval biblical commentators. And he offers a penetrating analysis of Moses' psychology at this moment and suggests a very different kind of mourning was going on. It's really a beautiful piece, and it's worth quoting in full, just so you can hear how much texture and pathos can be found in this literature. Abarbanel picks up, again, right at this strange name that ends the list of places in our Parsha, Avel Shittim. When Moses had finished writing down all of the journeys, he says, from the day they left Egypt until they came to the plains of Moab on the banks of the Jordan in Jericho, he remembered that God had said to him, you will not cross the Jordan. He saw that his days of reckoning and his end had come and that this is where he would no doubt die. So he made a sign for himself from the name of the place and he called it Avel Shittim, the mourning of the Acacias. For this is where they would mourn his death. And because of this, he worried and was very sad. And he said, Yagati umanucha lomatsati. I toiled, but rest I never found. I took this people out of Egypt and I led them through the desert for 40 years to bring them into the promised land. And then I came to the bank of the Jordan, but I was not allowed to cross over and deliver it to my people. Instead, Another man, Ishacher, will prepare it and deliver it to them. It was I who planted the fig tree, but I will not eat its fruit. Vani natsarti ha'teena, velo achalti et pirya. 
Joshua, my attendant, will eat it, and the land will be remembered for him, for he will conquer it and deliver it to Israel. And my name will never be mentioned again. And because of this, his heart twisted inside of him, and all of his bones trembled. Poor Moses. He wasn't crying for us. He was crying for himself. Here he had led a revolution, delivered a revelation, and defended against constant rebellion. Sometimes he defended us before God. Sometimes he defended God before us. Always his job was hard, but he devoted his whole self to it, devoted his whole life to it. Yet, for one mistake, for losing his temper in one moment, God took from Moses the only thing that would have made it all worthwhile, the chance to finish the journey. The man who made the return to the homeland possible will die on the other side of the river. It does seem unfair, not just to Moses, but to any reader who's been following along with this story. It's one of the most tragic things in the Torah. This is a sadness we can surely share with Moses. But if that were not enough, Abarbanel is also describing an even greater kind of sadness. Because his Moses is so overcome with bitterness and grief that he begins to lose his grip on reality. He becomes convinced that not only will he die, he'll be forgotten. How could he think such a thing? The leader, the prophet, the national hero. Could he really believe that when he's gone, no one will remember his name? Only a man consumed by a massive, all-consuming, terrible sadness could entertain such a delusional thought. And that is a great sadness indeed. That's the kind of sadness that deserved to have a whole forest named for it. So God, what will you do? Will you leave Moses in the forest all alone? Now, Barbanel actually has an answer to that question. And it's an answer that also explains the rest of the Parsha. Because immediately after the opening list of places, the Parsha moves on to the commandment of settling the land and ridding it of idolatry, the mapping of its borders, the division of the land amongst the tribes, and the establishment of special garrison cities for Levites and for criminal refugees. Why command all these things right now, Abarbanel asks. Why not either give these laws earlier, along with all the other laws at Mount Sinai, or later when Joshua actually takes them into the land and all these issues become relevant? The answer, he says, is that all of this is mentioned right after Moses names the Forest of Sadness specifically in order to comfort Moses and to speak to his heart. God has heard Moses crying, heard his fear of being forgotten. And so God says, look, take these things, command them to the people, and then you will always be remembered for them. Even when they leave you behind, they will take your words with them. And through these commandments is as if you will live on in the land. And with this, Abarbanel concludes, 
your mind will be at peace. Just as if you had crossed over and done this all yourself. I imagine that if Moshe did find this peace, it was above all through the detailed mapping of the land given in our Parsha, which at first seems so unnecessary. But I'd like to think that this map is here because God said to Moses, you want to see the promised land? Close your eyes. I'll describe it to you. Put your hand in mine. I'll trace out the shape for you. I hope that when Moses spoke out the borders of the land to the children of Israel, in his mind he was already there, flying above, surveying every hill and valley from north to south. I hope it felt so real, it was just as good as actually being there. I hope Moses found a way out of the forest. I hope he made it home. Best Book Ever was produced by Ben Cooley and edited by Vera Blossom, and our theme song is Pitrouli by Hillel Tigay. You can listen to more of his beautiful music on iTunes and Spotify. And while you're there, why not subscribe to Best Book Ever if you haven't already. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and our work, you can visit us at ecar.org and donate or Venmo us at ecarla. That's I-K-A-R-L-A. Thanks a lot and see you next week.